Welcome to season two of the Change the World podcast. This season, I'm going to be speaking not only with nonprofit founders, but with other nonprofit leaders, such as fundraising experts, communications executives, and board members. We'll be addressing some of the big issues facing Jewish nonprofits today and brainstorming ways that we can come together to address them. Thanks for joining. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me today. I am so excited. I'm doing my first in-person podcast recording with the one and only Abby Wallen. Um, I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell you a little bit about herself. And we're going to get into some really, really amazing stuff about social media and nonprofits. And I think it's going to be really, really, this is going to be a fun one. So Abby, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started and how you got into what you're doing now. Oh, goodness. How long do we have? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I I used to be in education. I was a teacher for 15 years. I I did not know that. You didn't? (laughs) (laughs) So I taught every single grade under the sun from like preschool all the way to high school. Yeah, I was a special ed teacher. And every summer I used to learn how, like, just new, like, art skills. I went to art school and I was really into art, but I gave it up because we had to pay the bills. Anyway, so one summer I learned how to paint on glass. And the rest is history. I turned that into a full-fledged business, built it. I started to sell to stores. I went to trade shows and I sold all over the world. I like hundreds of stores all throughout, like internationally. I started my business when Facebook actually asked me in 2009, do you want to start, like, do you want to have a business page? And so I built up the company very, very early on on social media. It was like me, Connie Applebaum. Kaya Forsheimer from Bits of Glitz, Sarah Lazary from Dr. Princess. That was what she was called back then. Yeah, I remember um, that. And Sharon Langer, who was fashion shop. Like yep. these were, like that. this was the social media world. I think we're dating ourselves <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> um, but because of that, and because I got in so early, I really understood market trends. I was there when we migrated from Facebook to Instagram. It was actually Kaya Forsheimer from Bits who like was encouraged me to go to Instagram. And then I started just building the business. And in 2017, I realized that I was making $350,000 a year, but only netting 60. And I was, there's something wrong. There was something wrong. I was working 16 hour days. I was working lawyer hours. And I said to myself, something has to give. And I remembered the night that I was crying hysterically. But you have to understand, like I would get pieces, I would get an order, okay? Huge, 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 massive order of like, I don't know, 60 cake domes and, and, and uh, 25 bowls and whatever it was. And I was painting every single one. And I had a team of five people, team of five people. And I would get an order. We would rush, 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 rush out to get all the orders out before Thursday. And then by Sunday night or Monday morning, they'd be like, we're sold out. We need more. And I felt like I was on this like hamster wheel that was never ending. And I never saw my kids. I didn't have money in my pocket. And I was just so miserable. And I said, I am responsible for the choices that I'm making in this world. And I have to figure this out. I owe it to my family. I owe it to myself to figure out this business, which I, from the outside in, it looked like I knew what I was doing. And so then what ended up happening was, is that I started opening up on social media on Instagram. And I started talking about entrepreneurship. And all of a sudden people were like, I feel that way too. And I realized that my voice had power. And I started um, pivoting. I pivoted away from my art. I ended up revamping the business. I gave myself 30 days to rechange the whole business. People saw what I was doing. By the end of it, uh, profits were up by 10% and I was working five hours a day. And people were like, how'd you do that? How'd you do that? How'd you do that? And so I realized like I could probably make more money consulting and helping women grow their businesses and do business plans and marketing strategies for them than actually running this art business. So I partnered with Waterdale 
I ended up selling a lot of my artworks to them. They would manufacture it for me. I was able to close my studio, which I never thought would ever happen in my wildest dreams. And I started um, doubling, tripling, and quadrupling my business. And then going, by, and the way that we started working together, I don't know if the world knows, but I started working with 14 Minds because the GWE came to me and they asked me if I would run their 2019 conference, if I would come in as a director of programming. And I said, absolutely. And my education background and my business background like really helped. And we had 500 women that year. And it was incredible. We were set to have 700 women at our next conference for 2020. And then COVID hit. Now, Barthashub JWB is back and we're better than ever. And it's happening and it's incredible. But back then, I did that nonprofit work. And then I did the Vayushalayim's nonprofit work. And then like, they asked me to do another event for them. And then I did Festa 24-7. And all of a sudden... I fell in love with nonprofit work and I'm obsessed with it, obsessed. And so what I realized was that there was a huge, huge, huge empty space in the nonprofit world in understanding marketing. I was getting them thousands of new subscribers, thousands of new followers, and then there was no follow-up afterwards. And I realized, wow, I could really build an agency that could really help them, you know, build their impact, but also bring Parnassa to me and now I have 10, I've 10, no, 11 team members internationally. And it's incredible to watch their products grow and all of it being connected in this ecosystem of impacting the world. Wow. Okay. That's an amazing story. I really love to hear how different people kind of fell into it because I don't think most people woke up like one day just saying, like, I'm going to get into nonprofit marketing. I think most of us who are doing it stumbled in one way or the other. So tell me now about this agency. What, what is the model? How do you work with clients? And like, what's, what's your ideal scenario and how you can come in and really help them? Okay. So what I realized was, is that nonprofits only are present when they are asking people for money. Like that's the truth. Oh, yeah. Why? <laughs> because they're, they're fighting the good fight. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They are getting volunteers, they're helping their recipients, they're meeting with donors, but the world doesn't get to see what's happening in there. And so what happens is, is that they get all of these new followers and subscribers and they don't nurture them. And so they, they're basically running their organizations like roller coasters, where you only see them at the top when they're asking for money, then they disappear. And they come back when they're asking for money again. And instead, marketing needs to be steps where you go up you, and then you plateau. And then you, you, from that place of plateau, you nurture them during that plateau so that you can then, when you go up to the next step, you're at the next level. So how do you get a donor at $50 today, they give you $50, how do you get them to give you $500? What's the nurturing journey that you have to take that donor through? And it's not just donors. It's not about impact, right? Because KPIs, right? When we're looking or measuring goals, I think the biggest question I always get, and we can talk about this later, is, well, I'm going to invest X number of dollars. How do I know I'm going to get X number of dollars? What's the ROI? Right? What's the ROI? So I think, though, that we also have to look at impact and impact numbers. So are we growing our volunteer base? Are we get how many more intake calls are we getting? A lot of times people, like my biggest, the biggest fear that I hear from nonprofits when they start working with me is, are we going to be able to manage all of the new flow that comes in? Um, which Halavai should be their biggest problem, right? That they should be able to- For many of them it is. And they say that they're afraid to advertise, they're afraid to do promotion because they can't handle the influx. But to me, that's like the saddest problem in the world because you, all these nonprofit leaders that I've met are super passionate- and they didn't set out to like help some of the people. They really want to help all of the people, but they're constrained by their own way of thinking. So I think that's just like, it's such a sad like problem to be in. 
It is. It's actually very, to me, that's like super unfortunate. I think though that what ends up happening though is, is that if you do your social marketing, right. And I call it social marketing, not social media, because you have to really understand how to build a community around your product or service and understand your ecosystem. Sometimes Instagram is not the place and sometimes Facebook is not the place, but WhatsApp is, or, you know, maybe it's just email marketing and being really smart about your email marketing, or maybe it's like, putting together a pamphlet that goes into one of these magazines and it tells the full story of your organization. Like there's just, you have to figure out how to do it, right? So when you do it right, you're going to actually build your donor base and the influx of people are going to come at the same time. It's supposed to happen simultaneously. And so I think the more that we put out into the world, the more we see, right? It's a law of reciprocity. So I think that, you know, like in Judaism, like we all have to take a leap of faith. Like at the end of the day, we all have to have a Muna. And I think that nonprofits also need to like just... They do that every day. So they just have to do with their marketing also. <laughs> from your perspective, because I've had the same experience with them and the same conversations, from your perspective, why is it such a challenge for them? What do you mean? What, what's like, the challenge? Why do nonprofits struggle so much with marketing and the idea of marketing not while asking people for money? Well, they need to learn how to do the soft ask, right? So it's like, it, that, yeah. it's like jab, 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 hook. It's like get them, like, you know, nurture, 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 then ask. And I think that, so like one of the biggest things that we do, right, for social marketing. So we're about creating micro content for them. So we come in and we're the voice. We're all intents and purposes. We are the voice of the organization. So, you know, after we do our research and after we come up with a strategy, we do a shoot day. And we sit with the powers that be, the people that we think, that we've identified, not that we think, the people that we've identified. And it's not just the powers that be in the organization. It's the people that have been helped. And it's the volunteers. So we t- tell stories from the, the donors, the volunteers, the recipients. And then we also do the executive directors of the people that are within the organization. And we interview them and we ask them specific questions and we get such good pieces of nuggets. So what ends up happening is, is that we, we create this, these pieces of microcontent that go out into the world. And when people actually see things and they see the impact that they've had, right? You all of a sudden you don't really need to ask that hard because it's out there. It becomes your Instagram is, is, is your place, like your website. It's like where people go to look. Like, so somebody says to you, like, what do you do? You just go check out my Instagram. It's got everything there. It's, your, it's now your living virtual portfolio. That's the way that we treat it. And I think that when, when you do your marketing, your social marketing, right? The ask is so easy that you don't even have to do a hard ask. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But I think that the nonprofits, you know, many of them have like very specific challenges. For example, in our community, most people who use the services of nonprofits don't necessarily want to talk about it. A lot of the topics are very sensitive, very personal. They don't want to get in front of the camera. We're talking about mental health issues, infertility, right? Like, so what do you tell these clients? So in those cases, first of all, for example, we did fertility. Like we had a, we just did a a huge fundraiser for Pula fabulous organization. They have, there's so many amazing stories, but fertility is a very, personal. a very personal and private matter. And there were some people who said, I don't want even, you cannot show my face. You cannot show my nothing. You can't even use my voice. And so in that case, we just did a transcription and we got great quotes from it, Right. So there's so many different ways that we could actually, like we could take that story and change the name, change a little bit of the words. And that becomes a great email. So just because they don't, but they don't have somebody else who is like, you better use my voice, use my face, and tell the entire world what Poa did for me because the world needs to know about this organization. 
sometimes the organization themselves is like closed-minded or they have a, a scarcity mindset that nobody's going to want to tell or nobody's going to want to share or nobody's going to, they don't understand that the power that they've had on so many of these recipients, there's ambassadors there, right? Like, so we have to think about our funnel. There's like a, there's a whole funnel. Like how do people find you, right? Where it is, how do you convert them to a client or a donor or whatever it is? And then how do you take them and turn them into an ambassador? So, I always say that the trick is, the real trick, if all you nonprofits are listening, you want to get them young. The younger you can get them and turn them into an, like a lifetime ambassador. Gen Z, right? Get yes. the Gen Zers. Not even, get the high school kids. So like, if you can create like an auction type of situation or a raffle situation or like a school program, whatever it is, if you can start something with these high school girls or even high school boys, yeshiva boys, first of all, they're so powerful, those yeshiva boys, or even like eighth grade or seventh or eighth grade, like they, they would love to have an extracurricular activity outside of school, right? So I think that you can get them young, get them to really understand in the brand awareness of your organization when they get to be an adult where they actually have money to spend and they're going to give to something, they're going to give it to something that they've already been bought into as a kid. So you have to think to yourself, your organization you're thinking about now you always have to be looking at your 10-year plan. So if in 10 years, you want to be at X number, who's going to be those donors? Who are going to be those donors? And how are you going to reach those donors? So you have to think like long-term. Long-term. Yeah. yeah. And I think most nonprofits, they seem to operate like an emergency mode. or one yeah. from crisis to crisis, crisis, fundraiser to cover it, and that's the next one. And not looking through it. Marketing is strategy and it's consistency. Have you found a resistance to taking on, let's say, social you know, versus some of these nonprofits have been doing things the same way for decades and decades. And we don't do this mailing and this dinner and this, you know, th- this request. And like, that's kind of, they're set in their ways and social is like very new to them. So it's interesting. Like, so I have this one, organ- I have two organizations that come to mind. So one organization is just very, I call them like vintage. They're like a vintage organization. The person who runs it is like, he wants the social media because he knows that that's where the world is going towards. But they still, he, he loves the old ways. He loves the old look. He, and so every single time he would meet with a, with a branding agency or a marketing agency, they were like, we need to rebrand you. And he got turned off every single time. And I finally said to him, I wouldn't rebrand. I would, I would embrace, embrace the, the old, embrace your who you were and what you were. I wouldn't change your logo. I would take that logo. Let's just tweak the logo a little bit. You know what I'm talking about because you already did it. Um, let's tweak the logo just a bit and make it so that we can actually, like instead of it being hand-drawn anymore, it's actually like on the computer we can use it in our elements. But like, let's embrace that old. And I think that when you say to people, especially in nonprofits, when you like, they're so, they're obsessed with what they've created. And I think that if you can, you get your, you get the buy-in as a marketing when you come in as their friends, as opposed to their enemy and saying, I'm smarter, I know, because you're going to have resistance the entire time going forward. The other organization that I'm thinking off the top of my head, it was an organization that had never been on social media whatsoever. Only their community knew about it. And what they wanted to do was they wanted to reach out everywhere else. And I always find, so I think the question is not necessarily like they're all set in the ways, but how do you actually get, if, if you have an organization that's very local, right? And they want to raise a million dollars, well, why would Miami want to support a Brooklyn community? Like, why? Like, and so I think that's a bigger question is like, how do you actually create a community around an organization that's not necessarily servicing the people that they're going after? So that is 
a very hard question. That's a good question. I mean, we have that a lot when we work with schools and schools. At the end of the day, if you're not part of it or if you're not like an alumni of it, really hard to get people to care. So like for them, it's even more important that every single person who walks through their doors becomes a lifelong part of their community because you can't build that new community as easily as as other organizations. Correct. And I think the other thing is is that it's all about shared experiences. So that's where it really comes down to storytelling and really like tapping into someone's real heart. And because people are more likely to give A, if they're connected to it. And so that could be, I live in this community and I'm a recipient of it, or my neighbor's a recipient of it, or, you know, something like that. Or if you have a shared experience. So even though, for example, let's take Yabacha Lakala, right? Yabacha Lakala is an organization that supports Collins, right? They give them every single thing that they need to set up their apartment. It's an amazing organization, but they're set in Brooklyn. But if you're a Kala that didn't have any, and you were like, I, I wish that there was an organization like this, we are going to support it, right? So like for links, links for me, it's that. Like I was, a, uh, my father passed away when I was a kid, and I wish that there had been an organization like links. You know, yes, Links also now supports a lot of people because they've been able to fundraise enough that they can support people, like kids all over, but um, so I think that when you can tap into the storytelling, that's really where you can really effectively market an organization. And yet that's something that they find very difficult. Like I think that some of the nonprofits I work with, they're like the world's best secret keepers. hundred percent. Which I guess it's part of the job because they're dealing with people's most private, vulnerable moments. So I guess it becomes second nature. But if you're not sharing with people, I mean, I had an organization that I worked with for months before I found out the true extent of the scope of what they were in real crisis. And I was like, you know, I thought you were just like kind of helping like with the after school programs. And like, he looked at me like in shock. I said, you never told me, you never told anybody. So when you ask people for money and they don't get the gravity of the situation, why would you expect them to step up? Right, no, but I think that that's where it happens in the research program, the research part, right? Because what ends up happening is, is that, for example, we'll be onboarded, we'll get research from, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll interview different people. But then when you actually sit, in, a, in an organization's space and you hear from the recipients and you hear from the volunteers, you get a totally different story than what the powers that be in the organization are telling you. And I think- You have to like look under the hood. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's really where the magic happens, which is why we now require it when we start with any client is, is that we don't just take it Face value because it's and it's not that the organization is trying to hide. It's not that they're trying to hide anything or not. It's just that they're dealing with so much and they can only tell you the macro bits. They can't tell I you the micro. Some of them, it doesn't occur to them that not everybody knows. Correct. Like, so of course, everybody knows what we do. Of course. Yeah, because no, because they're eating, breathing, and sleeping it. Right. And so, like when you hear these other stories, you're like, I'm bought in. I'm bought in for life. Oh yeah. When and you finally so, open them up, they're the best salespeople. hundred percent. Right? Because this is what they. This is their whole passion. But you have to get it out of them. So, it, you know, it's, I think it can be very overwhelming to the nonprofits. A lot of them have super limited budget, limited resources. Everybody's wearing many hats and they're just kind of going from one crisis to another. What practical advice can you give someone? Someone, let's say, you know, they either run a small nonprofit or they work for a larger nonprofit and they want to kind of start. Where would you tell them to like, what's what's ground one? Start on social media? Yeah. So We're building is, a social community, whatever that looks like. Right. So the first thing is you need to figure out where, you're, where people are hanging out. Right? Like that's the first step. Well, so, and who they are. Yeah. So I'm saying, like, who are your volunteers? Where are they hanging out? And where can you find more? 
right? So, I mean, I always think that WhatsApp is great. I mean, that's where, if your volunteers are all high school kids, just put them into a WhatsApp group. That's like your best way. And then have them, you know, you know what's really a, an interesting trend, sorry, I'm going off topic, is user-generated content. Oh, yes. Right? So that is a huge, huge, huge trend right now. So you can incentivize your volunteers to create content for you and incentivize them with a raffle or a pizza night or whatever it is. And so, and then the community on WhatsApp ends up, everyone's sharing their pictures and their videos and whatever. And then you can then, you know, get permission, obviously, to put it out there into the world. So like, that's like one, such an easy way to... Yeah, WhatsApp, I think, is a huge missed opportunity. I see a lot of organizations like where they'll have someone within the organization putting out a request. Oh, can someone do this? But there's no branding. No, like you're just doing a personal favor for personal. And it's such a missed opportunity that someone that doesn't even realize they're actually helping out a huge organization. And that could be the step one in their connection, but they're just doing it as like a little quick WhatsApp that they throw up on their status without any kind of background or right. any public to that person who helped out never hears from them again. So I think there's huge opportunity that's being missed. Everybody. Right. But also the thing is, is that these volunteers and these ambassadors, like people don't realize they end up turning into your your fundraising, like when you do crowdfunding, each oh, one yeah. of them, if they fall in love with you and they feel treated and they feel that you care about them, right? And then what ends up happening is, is that they then become your ambassadors and they'll raise, they'll take on a goal and then they'll build with other people. So I think that it's really, really important that we nurture the volunteers because it, it, yeah. they're giving to us. And I think sometimes we forget that it needs to be reciprocated. Yeah, like even a, like a small thing, just to follow up with a thing, you can be so powerful. You know, Avram Lewis? Yes. So he's, he's great. He's a fundraising consultant and he did like a, in, like an informal study of, you know, do, giving small donations and such a small percentage of the nonprofits even responded to them at all to say thank you. And like, it's such a missed opportunity to build a connection when somebody reaches out. And a lot of these like peer-to-peer fundraising campaign also somebody, you know, the, the, the team leader gets a, like the donation from their friend and that's it. But that friend that gave the small donation can now be such a, a potential supporter for the organization because they made that first connection from a psychological standpoint. That's like their foot in the door, and there's so many opportunities you know really, missed. You know, it's so interesting. Like you could take a book, you could take a step out of you know, like the phone companies, the cell phone companies. You know, like those that they always give incentives to the ones that sign up. Like you always get the special incentives. But what about me? I've been with them for four years. Why don't I get anything special, right? I'm a valued customer, I'm right? New people. Yeah, I'm the new people. Yeah. So I think that we sometimes forget that the ones that are giving you the 25, the 50, they have the potential to possibly give way, way, way more in the future. And so it's really important. Like, you know, I can tell you from the amount of nonprofits that I've built to help them through a campaign, sorry, I think two of them, two. Okay, so I think they, I can't tell you off the top of my head, maybe 20 of them have done, right? In the last two, three years. Two of those um, have called back each individual donor. Wow. At a certain level, meaning like anyone who gave a thousand dollars or more, right? So like that's that that to me seems like so many volumes. And then what about the people under a thousand? Right? Like, yeah, you're gonna get like thousands of donations. I get it. It's hard to like give them a personal call, but you could still give them a postcard. You can still email give them you know, no. You could you can do SMS texting. You've got their phone numbers, hopefully if you ask for them. You can send out like just like a cute little video that just from the executive director saying thank you so much. Your donation is impacting in this incredible way. And I think the other thing is is that people for like I did two building campaigns, right? So now that they've done their building, right, they 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 made a two million dollars for their building, right? Whatever it is. Well 
people want to see what they pay their money to, to right? People want to see, okay, so what are we doing? Because what happens is, is that you're going to have the money to build, but let's say you need a sign slab. Or what if you need furniture for that building or you need something? Well, if they see that you're using the money wisely and you're building and you're this and you're on, on tap to do that, whatever it is, when you ask them for additional resources, they are more likely to give you more instead of saying, well, I just need you five minutes ago. Where did that money go? Because they have no idea where it went. And so you want to bring them into the story and into the process because people want to root you on and they want to see you do right. Like they want to, Absolutely. they want good stories. Okay. So now I'm going to put you on the spot. I have a little okay. bit of a tough question. Oh, right? <laughs> it's super specific, but I think it's something that okay. you probably need to think about. Businesses have generally one audience. They may have different products or different services for different types of people, but they have one audience and it's people that potentially will buy from them. Nonprofits have at least two completely different audiences. Many of them, many times they're like in totally different parts of the world even. That's how treatment can be. And that, that's the two audiences. The people that they serve, right? And then the people that support them. And in very many cases, these are completely distinct audiences. Now, this is the challenge that they have to do with every single bit of communication is who are you speaking to and how are you speaking to them? But from a perspective of building a community on social, who are you speaking to over there? Which audience? Okay, it's so, a tough one, right? It's a tough one, but okay. I'll give you another one. I'll give you even tougher. Okay. So we have we have one organization, the JEC, the Jewish Educational Sector. They're in uh, East Soka, an incredible organization. Rabbi Feder started it, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago. And he had a dream that he was going to have a community, a kahila, a shul, a school, and an outreach program. And then he was going to do FAU, which is the Florida Atlantic University. He was going to do outreach on campus. Okay? He had a vision and a dream, and Baruch Hashem, it's reality. Well, he came to us and said, I have, I, have, I have all these audiences. How many accounts am I supposed to have? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do it? So we actually set up three different accounts. We did the general JEC. Then we did Nigila, which is like their small little camp, right? They have a summer camp, and then we have the FAU campus. And they, they all talk to each other, right? When we talk to FAU, it's the college campus. When we talk on JEC, it's the donors saying, hey, look at what we're doing here and um, be a part of this journey and like in helping these college kids like find Judaism, right? We also educate people. like So on the JEC platform, we're actually talking to multiple people. We're talking to the donors. We're also talking, like we're giving cues, right? Like, so in this is Parsha, this is what happens. So a lot of their donors happen to be recipients of, and that they were Makari. So they're all about shoes. So they appreciate Rabbi Better's Parsha Leaping, right? So it's kind of, again, it goes back to, A, what's your goal? What's the goal of the organization? And what are you trying to do on social media? Are you trying to raise money? Are you trying to raise awareness? If it's the same, if, if yes, the goal is, yes, I want to make money and I want to build a community, you have to try to figure out, like, so then what's the message and how are we going to do it? Because you are going to talk to both. So would you your general advice be to have separate accounts to talk to the different audiences? No, not that get overwhelming. No, not something. necessarily. So like, for example, Yabatya the call, right? So Yabatya, in that respect, we had one. And they had nothing and we built them up. We got them, I think, close to 3,000 followers within like, I mean, a six-week span. And we, we built up a very, very solid, juicy community that was like, that really loved what they did. And I think that, so what was it? It was like, we used a combination of influencer marketing, user-generated marketing, influencer marketing. We used trends, trending audios. And like just different types of trends to like, so 
but the person that we were talking to was really your impact does this, right? So when your impact, because of you, Akala, right? So because of you, Akala has this. Because of you, they can have, they can build a bicep and start that. They can have, they can do what they need to do there, whatever it is, right? So we're talking to the donor, but because we're talking to the donor, they're constantly getting messages. I have a friend who's a column she's home. So it's all about the messaging that we put out that builds in that story that then you can, you'll get people in the recipient. Like even like, like, so let's say for Tosca Shabbos of Rockland County. So a lot of the social media, like you also have to remember what are your pillars? What are your content pillars? What are we going to build community around? I think some people listening may not be familiar with that term. So just talk um, about that. Okay. <laughs> so after we do a lot of research and we interview everybody, we're interviewing them around four basic pillars. It could be three, but, but we're basically figuring out, okay, so where is their deepest impact, right? So for Tuesday Shabbos, it's the food boxes, right? Every Friday, they give out those food boxes, but on Wednesdays and Thursdays, people come to pack. Okay, then they also have, also Tokta Shabbos has partners in Pranessa, where, you know, people are, they're partnering people up, they're getting them job placement, and they're also filling roles. Then they also have body slaves, where you can get clothing. But around all of that, we have what's happening behind the scenes. What are the stories of Tokta, which obviously are completely 100% private. We have letters that are sent to him. We have, Alan will send us like three or four stories a month. He also has a Rosh Chodesh letter that he sends to every single person that generates tremendous amount of donors from all over the world. And then we take those stories, we turn those into carousel posts. We go down to the actual packing and we say, why did you come with your son? Why is it important for you to be here every single week? You show them all packing and we put like a voiceover over it. Like, you know, so there's all these different ways of, creating content but the voice in there the whole voice is is look at all the amazing things that we're doing right and sometimes the call to action is hey we need you to come and volunteer and come pack boxes and then sometimes it's hey look at what your money did this Rosh like that we were able to do like this is how many carrots we purchased this is like in this quarter there's how many chickens we ordered before Yom Tov, right and then there's the other ones that are like you saved me in such a huge way. And so when you hear those stories and you see people giving, you hear the stories of them helping and then you see the impact that they're doing, all of that is is very powerful. And so the audience of who we're speaking to kind of like, the question kind of disappears because when you come from a strategy of what are our content pillars, the voice just, you have to just have like a macro understanding of how the voice is going to sound. And then you just do it because it comes from a place of heart, of impact. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So we're going a little long, but I have one topic that I need to get to, okay. Okay, which in and of itself probably could be an entire conversation, but I just want to make sure that we cover it because it's important to me. Okay. I want to know from your perspective of helping nonprofits build social communities, how important is branding? Extremely important. So I will say to you this, when your picture pops up on Instagram or Facebook or wherever it is, what's that status? Whatever it is, they're not going to necessarily look at your name and they're not necessarily going to know who you are unless your colors are the same, the font is the same. I need to know that when I see your piece coming up from any of my newsfeed and I'm scrolling in the endless scroll of like zombie land, I know, oh, that's that's something. Oh, that's Yabat. Oh, that's Kua. Oh, that's, I need to know that it's yours. So branding, but branding is not logos and branding is not color and branding is not fonts. Branding is the overall message that we're sending out, which is why 
And you know how much I like a kicker on this, but like people don't understand that when I come in from my agency, it is integral that I become almost latch on to the marketing agents. And I kind of like become a like a like um a bird on a nest up in the wall, <laughs> and I'm just listening to everything that's happening. Because in order for me to be the voice of the organization, I must know what's being rolled out. I must understand where's the strategy here? Where's the hustle here? Like, imagine, uh, uh, and this has happened to me before. This is why I've learned how I need to like, really like my teams have to become so together because I've had it where like, the organization will be, I'll open up my a magazine and I see that they're advertising an event. And they didn't tell me about the event. Yep. And then what, you know what happens that night on social media? I get tons of messages. Hey, I'm about to come to the event. Can you tell me more? No, no, no. You have I, no idea. I have no idea. And I look like deer in the headlights and my team comes to me and says like, what? And, and we have, and, and it, it's, so it's harder for us to do our jobs because we really don't know what's happening. And so it's very important that we all are all on the same page so that, because we want we want to do right by you. And we want, if you're doing an event and it's an incredible event, first of all, my team has to be there to grab the content. Second of all, I need to be there so that I could, um, so that we know how to put out the right content for you to get the ROI that you want. You're putting in a ton of money into this event. You better. Right. And that strategy, all the different pieces, all the tactics have to be working together towards the same goal. Otherwise it's just wait. Right. So I think branding, I think people just think branding is like logos and colors and fonts and like just the look. And something that's like only big corporations like Coke. No, but branding is so incredible from the beginning. Yeah. It's very, very important from the beginning. And it has everyone has to be on the same page and everyone has to be telling the same story. So that every single thing that comes out is everything. Like I, I cannot tell you how many people like it really bothers me when emails go out and it's not branded to the campaign. Like it makes me crazy. Yeah. <clears throat> it makes me crazy because I'll tell you why there has to be harmony throughout. So the social posts have to look the same, the design, the ads, the print ads have to look the mm-hmm. same, the digital ads have to look the same, and the emails have to look the same. And if your and if your general marketing department tells you that no, it doesn't, that is wrong. And second of all, if they and second of all, if they tell you that email marketing is not important, they are wrong. And if you are sitting on a ton of emails that you have no idea what to do with, you have to like reach out to me or reach out to another marketing firm who can help you just go generate your list, your email list, because. I always equate marketing as like a, what do you call it? Um, like a realm. Like imagine like, you know, Candyland. Candyland was like a huge realm. Okay, so in that realm, you have an empire. And that empire is content. That content, that brand, right? That's your whole, that's what makes the entire Candyland look Candyland, right? Like, so you have this realm. The content is all over this realm. Then you have a king and you have a queen. The king is email marketing. If you do not have, a, if you don't have a list, if you're not building an active list, if you're not using email marketing to the best of your ability, your key is like, is not, it's not being utilized. You're losing money on the table. And your queen, your queen is either social media or WhatsApp. They, and they work hand in hand and they have, if they work hand in hand, there's harmony around the world. I love it. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great metaphor. Um, Andrew, thank you so much. This was so awesome. I think there were some really valuable things that we spoke about. So I hope that nonprofits are all listening and they will take it very, very seriously. Oh, thank you for having me. This was really thank fun. You. We're going to do it again. <laughs> I hope so. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Change the World podcast. 
If you have any feedback or comments, or if you are a nonprofit leader who is interested in learning more about how 14 Minds can help you, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me by email at sivia at 14minds.com. For more nonprofit content, follow me on LinkedIn or visit 14minds.com to subscribe to our mailing list.